Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Okay, so remember where we left off. It was a really, really heavy study. As a matter of fact, Jesse walking out said, boy, that was heavy, and it really was heavy. And God gave us some incredible insight into who he is. He gave us some just, I mean, you think about the throne room, you think about the glory of the Lord, and yet, I don't know if you caught this, but Israel still chose to disobey him and worship other gods. They they were what? They were worshiping idols. They were knee-deep, if you will, in idol worship. Now, again, think about our hearts for just a moment. It's It seems like our hearts are idol factories, and, and we don't even mean to, but then we begin to worship everything. We take, we take other things and make it ultimate, and it's, and, and it's like we have to constantly be, no, no, Jesus, God is first. Well, that's what Israel's doing, and God through Ezekiel pronounces judgment on them. Now, before we jump into chapter 10, I want to backtrack just a little bit because I want to bring out some heavy yet incredible applicational things. You go, how so? Well, by way of reminder, Ezekiel is on his 30th birthday. He was by the river Kaibar there in Babylon. The heavens opened up. You guys remember? And he saw these visions of God. He saw the cherubim and he saw the throne and it was incredible. He actually used the word awesome, which means magnificent. So he describes the cherubim, and he actually gives us some insight to what Satan looked like. He was a cherub before he was cast down. So, so again, this little, uh, these little myths of horns and a, and, a, and a tail and a pitchfork, that's, no, he was, a, he was a cherubim. But he also comes as an angel of light to deceive us. Now, in chapter 10... We'll see the same things. Ezekiel's going to show us again what we learned in chapter 1. Now, I want you to think about this. Okay, put on your thinking caps this evening, church. Last week, we studied verse or chapters 6 through 9. And Ezekiel, in chapter 6, serves as a powerful and potent reminder of the consequences of idolatry and disobedience to God yet um, admits the severe judgment, we find God giving a hint of God's mercy. Now, let me take you back just for a moment, right? Because there's some really amazing things that jump out in the, the study of example. For example, number one, number one, the Lord says, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed me, and by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols. And that just blew us away, thinking that God, the creator of all things, would say, because of your adulteress, because of your, uh, my heart is crushed. And you would often think that God, Elohim, Adonai, the God, right, this, this powerful God would go, fine, if you guys don't want it, fine, I'll just... But he says, no, 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 in order for me to love you, my heart has to be vulnerable so that it could get, it could be hurt. And, and he loved Israel and in the same way to think that sometimes our sin, well, all the times our sin, but when we sin, that, that, that in some way we're, we crush the heart of God. I would not want to stand and think about this, guys, and, 
and, and worship something else. Worship, bring something, and even if it's good, because the problem is, is that we could take something so good and make it ultimate that, it, that we become idolaters. And, and I would hate that where God goes, hey, hey, Ben, and my heart was crushed. I was crushed because I loved you. I died for you. I gave you everything, Ben. And, and I was like Israel. I, my eyes, which play the harlot. Now, again, this is, this is severely convicting because you and I know we're not perfect and that we sin. But I don't often think when I sin that I'm crushing the heart of the God that loves me. I think, oh, well, he'll forgive me. We're under grace, right? We're under grace. He'll, he'll forgive me. See, it says here that when they exiled among the nations, they'll remember me. And they said, then they will recognize how hurt I am by their unfaithful hearts and lustful eyes that long for their idols. I know us. I know us at times. And whenever we've been hurt by somebody else, there's a hurt that it's indescribable at times. Specifically, if you had a crush on someone or, or you really, you put your heart out there and you thought, oh, this is the one and they didn't feel the same way. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh. But I want to take a moment, guys, to feel the weight of what the Lord taught, taught us last week because we see the vulnerability of God's heart. He is truly hurt by the affair Israel had with idols. And I want you for a moment to think, can you imagine how God felt? I mean, I could not imagine that, that your spouse, whom you really, really love, would look at you and say, hey, um, I'm going to bring somebody else into the house. You'd be like, that's not going to fly in my house. But think about, I mean, all of that goes on. I mean, think about all the emotions and everything. To bring another lover into the house, that pain and that hurt. And I'm not naive to the fact that there have been people who are probably watching or who've gone through that, who've, who've either had an affair or, or, or been the victim of an affair. I get that, and it's a hurtful situation, and I know God is merciful, but I want you to see and feel the heart of God, the heart of God towards Israel. I don't think of God's heart being crushed, but he says right here, guys, what does he say to you and I? He says, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart. You need to know something, and I know it's commonplace and cliche, but you know what? God loves you so deeply, so desperately, that he's willing to be vulnerable even if you walk away from him. What a love. The second thing, the second thing, guys, I want to point out tonight is found in chapter 8. And in verse 12, he says, Then he said to me, Son of man, You've seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark. Every man in the room of his idols? For they say, now catch this, guys, Lord does not see, and the Lord has forsaken the land. So, so go back in your minds, hold, hold, hold chapter 10 here, go back to chapter 8, verse 12, and, and, and feel the weight of what he's saying, because there's something pertinent that jumps out. And then he said to me, Ezekiel says, Son of man... Have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? 
They're doing the dark. Have you seen every man in the room of his idols? And he paints a picture here of the elders in Israel doing things, you know, outside looking, oh, looking prim and proper, but you get inside the dark of the house and guess what? Oh, this is what they're... And, and Ezekiel sees this and, and, and here's what we need to know. Nothing is hidden from God. He sees everything. He sees what we do in the daylight. He sees what we do at night. I think of Moses. Do you remember Moses in the Egyptian? Right? Do you remember when, when he said he looked to the right, he looked to the left, he looked around, and then he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand? The one thing he forgot is to look up because God saw that as well. And God sees the things that are in our heart. But I want to show you something, guys, because he comes here and he says, do you see that? Here's what they're saying. Here's what the elders are saying. The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Now, when we read that, we sort of just glance through. We just go fast. But, but, but basically what it is, if you'll dig a little bit deeper, notice the excuse. Because he's saying, the Lord doesn't see. He's abandoned his country. Now, stay with me, guys. Stay with me. Because I want you to feel the weight of what the elders are saying here. Because the Lord had opened my eyes to this point. One reason, one reason the elders are worshiping idols in public and in private. Come on, somebody. In the dark is because they felt like God didn't see them. They felt like God didn't care. They felt like God was off on another adventure in another country. He's not part of that. They had concluded in their minds that God, Elohim, had abandoned them where they live. Come on, somebody, think about what he's, what's going on here. And so what really jumps out is that the elders are trying to justify their sin. They're boldly sinning against God and blaming him. And so my question is, why, why, why would these elders blame, shift, or justify their sin? God sees everything. How can we, well, again, I want you to think about this. Because I bring it home to you and I, and I think people are good at making excuses to justify sin in their lives. Getting into the habit of sin is often hard to get out of. And sometimes the progression of sin seems like it's an easier road to follow. It may seem like an overwhelming task to turn from our evil deeds and to turn to God. And to be quite honest, the world doesn't make it any easier to repent. That constant nagging voices telling you to love yourself and accept yourself for who you are. No, no, no. God defined sin, and you can try to cherry-pick Scripture to justify your position. Oh, well, God doesn't hear. God doesn't see. He's left us. But the problem is, a sin is still sin. And so when I read this, it jumped out at me. And so quite honestly, we can justify our bent towards sin... How? If we create a scenario where God, where we believe God doesn't care, or we feel like we've been abandoned by him. 
I want you for a second, just a second, church, to put yourself in the shoes of Israel, the elders of Israel, because I think in their minds they created a scenario that wasn't true. They created a scenario where they could justify what they were doing and say, well, you know what, this is why, this is why. This is, this is what's going on. All the while, it's not true. Because the Bible says sin is sin, and we must mirror our lives in light of God's word. In light of God's word. I wonder how many people try and have tried to justify whatever they're doing Because they feel like God hasn't heard their prayer. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've cried out to God and I've prayed and He doesn't hear me. So hey, I might as well. And all the while we know right from wrong because He's given us His Word. You see, the the elders, oh, they knew better. They knew God could see, but now they're going, hey, (laughs) He doesn't hear us. He didn't even care. I don't even care. If God really cared about me, he would fill in the blank. If God really cared, he would. And that's not the case. See, God knows and God does care. In Ezekiel chapter 8, God was always there. As a matter of fact, if you recall, he kept sending prophets to them to repent. He's, he's, got, he's got now... Who? He's got Ezekiel in Babylon. He's got Jeremiah there in Israel. And he keeps sending them. And in sending them, he's like, please, please repent. And you know he does the same thing for us. I don't know about you, but when we're on our way to sin, God often puts agents of stop in our way. Agents of stop. Hey, 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 don't. You'll be on your way to sin, whatever it might be. Hey, I'm going to meet this girl. She's not my wife. I'm going to meet her. We're going to just have coffee. It's just, it's everything. No, it's all good. I'm just, we're just talking. And you're on your way. And all of a sudden you see a brother from, hey, how's it going, man? I haven't seen you. What are you doing here? Oh, I'm just getting coffee, man. Well, who, hey, is Natalie here? Oh, no. God often puts agents to stop. Now, we have a choice at that point, church. Listen to me. We could go, Oh, Lord, thank you. You sent agents of stop so I don't cross that line. Or we can go, I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. Why? Because God doesn't hear. God has forsaken us. I have a right to do this. And that's what the children of Israel are doing. And God was sending them prophet after prophet. Hey, hey, would you repent? Would you stop worshiping idols? I'm here. I'm going to judge you. Now, let me give you the third thing as we jump into uh, as we jumped into last week, and we'll talk about tonight. This one has really affected me out throughout the week. The Lord begins to abandon His temple. He slowly moves away from the idolatry and the wickednesses that's going on in the temple. He shows Isaiah. He says, "Ezekiel, open this little hole. Now, go through the door." And he sees all of these things, all the things that's going on in the temple. And tonight, here's what I want you to put the mindset on. He's, he's almost like he, it, the Lord is reluctant to leave. And he would just look at them with that longing heart. 
that longing eyes and that crushed heart and goes, please, please just repent. And they go, no, we don't care. And he'd go, okay, I, I've got to go. I've got to go. I, I, I'm here if you, okay. Now jot this down. Jot this down because it's important. Number one, I think that's happening in our churches today, church. I think that's happening in our churches. Why? Now I would say God is not there anymore. God is not there anymore. He has slowly departed as these ministers sought to bring things that were an abomination to him. So many people have decided, and, 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 and you can look it up. I hope you don't, but you can look it up. So many people have decided to walk away from God's word. And I had one sent to me today that said, oh, we, did, we, we need new revelation. We need new revelation. God speaking. We don't just read the Bible. And it's like, I, what? And, and they're getting away from this, guys. And I wonder, and I wonder how many churches, and I use that, I use that phrase very loosely, how many churches that God's not even there anymore. That people attend and and they've got all these things and they're and they're they're welcoming the world in and going, hey, hey, we're we're all inclusive. One pastor was talking about transformation. Trans. And he says, that's in our name. <laughs> it's contrary to God's word, isn't it? So where's the standard? On a popular pastor with thousands of people or in the word of God? Where are we going to stand? Where are we going to stand? But how about this? The Lord is starting to depart the temple, and, and, and let's say goodbye to churches, but let's bring it even more personal. You see, I believe, church, that this can happen to the heart of people. And again, I want to remind you, this is not a salvation issue. It's not like God's going, okay, well, <laughs> oh, all right, you're not even saved anymore, but it's a relationship issue. And here's how I know, because you might be here tonight, and you might go, man, I feel I'm like far from God, man. I'm in this desert, man. I'm alone. And, and, and again, make no mistake who moved. You see, God has already been there. And so I wonder if tonight he's asking us to repent from the idols in our hearts, the things that are not pleasing to him. You see, for us, it can't be just another Bible study. Yeah, my Wednesday night was cool. High five, how are you doing? Yeah, it's got to be a place where we go, oh, Lord, you met us there. You met us here at the altar. Now, listen to me, church. This is not an easy thing to preach because I've had to deal with it and search my heart and be like, Lord, I don't even think I can, I can even tell them because I want to be, be clean before you before I even say this. I, I don't want you to depart from my heart. What's in my heart, God? What's in my heart? So he asks us tonight, repent. But some of us, we sort of justify our sin. And so what he does is he backs away. Okay, I'm here. And then we find ourselves dry and far from God. Well, let me say this. Tonight, he's calling us back to repent and to turn from that, whatever it might be. Now, listen, I'm not saying that all of us are in here. We've come in here with all this junk, but I'm saying 
And you and I, if you're walking tight with Jesus, man, then just amen. But if there's something in here that you're struggling that you've allowed to take precedence in your life, that tonight you lay it at the altar, the altar, and ask the Lord to fill us once again with his spirit. Three heavy things we learned last week. Now tonight, from chapter 9, we learned that judgment is coming. And if you recall, here's what I love. Some are going to be spared. See, one man among them is clothed with linen and had a rider's inkhorn by his side, right? You had six, you had six angels, but one didn't have a battle axe. One had a, a inkhorn, and what he did is he went in and he stood beside the bronze altar. So you have this one guy, this one angel, this one messenger. Now, keep in mind, this messenger, because of the linen, some commentaries believe this was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus. I can't prove it through Scripture, so I'm just kind of standing over here giving you my school of thought. But also, guys, think about this. Think about this. Other, it could just be a messenger. It just could be an angel that God uses. We really don't know. But here's what it says in verse 3. Now, the glory of God of Israel has gone up from the cherub where it has been to the threshold of the temple, and he called to the men clothed with linen who had the rider's inkhorn on his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city of Jerusalem and mark out the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. So you have a group of people. You have a remnant of people going, you have a group of people, let's, let's bring it home, who, who watch what's on television these days and just break down and go, Lord, where have we have gone so far from you? Well, you can't watch anything on television without the agenda of the opposite of God's word being pulled into it. And it's really, really simple. The enemy is wanting us to lure us to sleep by just constant. Oh, so what happened? Oh, you're used to it. By now, it's 2020. Hey, man, get on board. It's 2024. This is the world, man. And we're just lulled to sleep, and the church is asleep. And all of a sudden, guys, think about it. He says, no, 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 there's a group of people. And he says, I want you to mark them. Do you remember what he says? And, and I love this. Why? Because the mark in the ancient Hebrew out letter, the ancient Hebrew, not now, it's changed, but it was the Tav, T-A-V-W, and it's the shape of a cross. It's the shape of a cross. So he went out and he marked them on their forehead with the shape of the cross. This is way back in Ezekiel. And he said, okay, you're the righteous. You're the ones. You're walking with God. Amen. Here. And we're marked today, guys. We're marked today. You and I, I don't see what mark we have, but we have the mark of God's Holy Spirit in us. And, and so we see that, and we're sealed, the Bible says, with the Holy Spirit of God. But remember, looking into the future, keep in mind, guys, that, that there, in the tribulation, there are going to be people marked with God. Now, in the tribulation, there's one or two things. You're going to be marked by God, or you're going to be given your life for God. There's no, there's no, hey, I'm just going to kind of skate through. But you know that Satan is also going to counterfeit God by marking what? His mark on those in the tribulation. What is it? It's the, the number of men. 
It's the mark, it's the name, it's 666. Now, what that looks like, I don't know. It might even be something that's invisible to the naked eye. It has to be put under a black light where you see it. I don't know what it, I don't want to know. I'm out of here. But we see in your minds everything that Satan, that God does, Satan counterfeits. Everything. We're going to see that a little bit later today. So what happened in chapter 9? Guys, those were marked with a cross. Others were killed. And others were taken to Babylon. And so now the story continues. Guys, note the slow process of the glory of the Lord departing the temple. Ezekiel 10, verse 1. And I looked, and there, the final firmament above the head of the cherubim, there appeared something like sapphire stone having the appearance of the likeness of the throne. So again, what's he doing? He's coming back and he's asking us. He says, so here Ezekiel, once again, is given the task to try to describe the throne of God. Here's what I want you to see. One day, we're going to see the throne of God. And it's going to be far more than what Ezekiel could do. We're going to high-five Ezekiel. Good try. It was a great try. That was really good, buddy. But it's going to be so more amazing. And I think most of us are be like this, just in awe of what this is. But he says, man, here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try in the likeness of the throne room of God. And if you recall, back in chapter 1, he tried to do this. He mentions the cherub, and again, we'll see that tonight. But way back in chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, it says, Above the surface was something that looked like a throne made with blue, lapis, and lazul. This is a sapphire. Picture just this incredible blue. Now, I can't even describe the colors. He says, and on the throne high above was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. So it wasn't a man, his appearance resembled a man. And for what what appeared to be his waist up, it looked like gleaming amber, flickering like fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame, shining with splendor. And all around him was glowing halo, like the rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. And when I saw it, he said, I fell face down on the ground and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. This is what Ezekiel said. Ezekiel goes, man, I'm just, can you imagine? Can you imagine? This is what really bothers me when you'll hear these televangelists on TV Say, well, you know what, God, I talked to God. He came in my room last night, when I, and I said, God, sit down. I want to have a talk with you. I don't think so. I think if Almighty God were to show up in your room with all his glory and splendor, we'd be flat on our face like Ezekiel. Who is man that he's mindful of us? That's just pride. Oh, no, no, no. I get in Hebrews that we can approach the throne boldly. I understand through Jesus where, you know, we have the grace of God. But this is still the reverence and awe due to the Lord. And if he showed up in your room, you would be flat on your face wondering, Lord, what did I do? Oh, woe is me. I'm a man. I'm a woman of unclean lips. Lord, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. That's what they said in the Old Testament. Whenever they saw an angel, a pre-incarnate cry, I'm going to die. We're going to die. You couldn't look on God and live. So again, we see the throne room of God. And so we find it very interesting that when someone mentioned in Scripture, we take note. But here he mentions the throne room twice. So we need to to be wowed by it. It's like, Lord, you mentioned this twice. Chapter 1, chapter 
10. And then he spoke to the man clothed with linen. Okay, so we were introduced to him last week. And this was an angel slash messenger, and he was commissioned to mark the righteous before the judgment, to mark them with a cross on their forehead. And here's my thought. Here's my thought, guys. Stay with me. Many people in Israel were probably marked with the cross, right? They had the seal. You go, amen. But I wonder if they still experience the consequences of God's judgment. Not the wrath, not the, not the, all here comes Nebuchadnezzar, here comes the angel killing people and all of the, all of the wrath. You see, you and I, we're not going to experience um, God's wrath. We may experience a little bit of Satan's wrath and man's wrath, but we're not going to experience God's wrath. But my point is this, you ready? I think that many of these people might have been taken. They might have not been taken. They might have not been killed, but they felt the weight of judgment upon their city, upon their friends, and upon their family. And you know how the Lord hit me today like a ton of bricks? I think it's the same way. You go, Pastor, what do you mean? Guys, our hearts break for those that are not saved, or at least they should. My question to you is how precious is one soul? Spending eternity apart from God or spending eternity with God? And we have to be believers, guys, that go, oh, and and we're sealed with, and we're saved and we know we're saved and heaven is secure. And so we need to be doing everything we can to see our family and our friends saved. Saved. I feel like we feel the weight of the consequences of others as we seek to see them saved. It goes on, guys, and it says, and, and he said, Go among the wheels under the cherub. Fill your hands with coals of fire among the cherub. And I scattered them over the city. And he went in as I watched. Notice that verse. It doesn't mean much in the sense that he just says, I watched. But here's what I want you to see. Ezekiel gets a beautiful picture of what's going on. Go into the cherub. He sees the cherub. He sees the throne room. He gets to see this. Now, here's the point I want to make. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has given you eyes to see and others not. And it's important you recognize that through the power, you're like, you don't see this? You don't see what's going on in the world? And they're oblivious. They're like, what? Man, look, look, look what's going on here prophetically. Here's what's going on in the Bible. Here's what's happening. And it's like, four years ago when COVID had hit and we had opened the church, uh, news channel, one of them came and wanted to interview me on, on how we were coping with, with uh, opening the church and all that stuff after COVID and everything. And so she came in and she had a mask on and everything and she interviewed me. And I couldn't tell you, I was just so excited. I was telling you, man, you don't understand. This is going on in the market. And I was just so excited. Not, not on TV. I just explained what we were doing on TV. But, but when I was alone, I was just like, you got to. And she was looking at me like, oh, my. I think I scared her. I scared her. And she just like, left. I hadn't seen her since or anything. But my point is, it's like, oh, you don't understand. Can you see what's going on? And she's like, did you go to church? I think she was like, mommy, and she walked out the door. I mean, that, that kind of thing. But the point is, here's the point. 
God has given you eyes to see. And you need to know that he hasn't given others that same. Ezekiel goes, I see it. I see it. Verse 3, now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and, notice, paused over the threshold of the temple. Underline that, just paused over. And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the Lord's glory. Grasp this, as the Lord is leaving the temple, it seems like he pauses. Would you repent? He just paused over. I don't know about you, but when I leave, I leave. You know, we leave very, we, not the Lord. He's like, I love you. It's, it's almost like, like that, that, that movie that you see, right? And, 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 and she's leaving, but she doesn't want to leave. She's got to catch that early train. And she's walking out the door and she looks back. And then she walks and she looks back. Is he going to tell me to stay? It's almost like that, not as cheesy. God's not that. He's, but he's looking at us going, you repent? You know, I'll hang out here for a minute just to see. Are you going to repent? It's almost like he loves us so much, and yet he cannot stay if we're going to put other things above him in worship. And the sound of his wings of the cherim was heard even in the outer court, like the voice of Almighty God when he speaks. We learned in chapter 1 that this voice is like thunder, guys, like thunder. When he speaks, it's like thunder. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 12, verse 29 through 30, it says, Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said, It thundered! Others said, No, 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 an angel had spoken, and Jesus said, No, this voice did not come because of me, but because of you. So oftentimes God's voice is thunder. It's thunderous, and that's what he heard. In verse 6, then it happened when he commanded the man clothed in linen, saying, Take a fire from the wheel from among the cherubim. And he went and he stood inside the wheels. Now, this is incredible because the angel is taking fire from the cherub. In verse 7, it says, The cherub stretched out his hand from among the cherub to the fire and is among the cherubim. And he took of it and he put it into the hands of the man clothed with linen who took it and went out. And now Ezekiel is going to try to describe the cherubim. The cherubim appeared to have the forms of the man's hand under their wings. And when he looked, there were four wheels by the cherubim. One wheel by the cherub and another wheel on the, and each other cherub. Each wheel appeared to have the color of beryl. Now again, Ezekiel mentions sapphire. He mentions beryl. I want you to know, and just looking at it, this, this, um, this beryl is kind of like this multicolored aqua, this really beautiful aqua. And it says, and these wheels were so amazing in color. And here's what we learned. We learned that they also had eyes, all-seeing eyes all over them. So he's just trying to describe these cherubim. And he's just, he's just blown away. He's blown away. But what we need to understand, he's going to talk to us about the wheel within the wheel and that they're, not, they're, they're, they're attached to the body of these angels. As for the appearance, all four looked alike. Do you see that in verse 10? As it were, a wheel in the middle of the wheel. Thank you, Ezekiel. And when they went, they went toward any of their four directions. They did not turn aside when they went, but they followed the direction of the head was facing. 
and they did not turn aside as they went. Remember we talked about this? These wheels went straight, sideways. They never, they never looped like phew, that sort of thing. Okay, These wheels within a wheels. And if a wheel within a wheel would turn, it would almost look like, and, and we've had uh, confirmation, we talked about that several weeks ago, this like flying saucer. Now, I'm not saying these are flying saucers. I'm saying it could have the appearance of that. Now, I don't think these are God's angels. I think these might have been fallen angels, which we have concluded could be demons, because here's the bent on Satan. Satan wants to come and go, oh, no, 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 it wasn't God. Aliens came in and took all the crazy people out of here. All the crazy people were taken away with aliens. You know, we saw flight. And as a matter of fact, you realize that, that even now, the government is coming up and going, yeah, there were some extraterrestrial things. That just means not in our terrestrial. You understand that it's not like, ooh, you know, it, you know it's not like all these aliens or whatever and these big-eyed, bug-eyed monsters. It's, we just can't, they can't explain it. But I wonder, I just wonder, could this not be demonic activity? Trying to deceive us and deceive the world, not us, to deceive the world of what really happened. I want to paint a scenario with you really, really quick. The rapture takes place, you're gone, and we have family members who, who haven't been saved. And the news comes up and says, well, you know what, we have a report of we saw aliens and we feel like this is an alien abduction. And so our loved ones at this point have a choice. You go, what's that choice? The choice is really simple. Do we believe what our loved ones have said and are no longer here? Or do we go, you know what? I knew sister so-and-so was always cookie. You know, she always wore that tinfoil hat. You know what I'm talking about, that nano-nano kind of. So she was just taken by an alien. I wonder. Explain away. That's the word. He wants to use aliens to explain away what really happens in the rapture. See? I'm slow, but I get there eventually, okay? And so he says, and their whole body with their back and their hands and their wings and their wheels had, that had four had full of eyes all around. As for wheels, he says, they were called in my hearing a wheel. Thank you, Ezekiel. He says, you know what I heard? They were a wheel. Now look at verse 14. Each one had four faces. The first face is the face of a cherub. The second face, the face of a man. The third face is the face of a lion. And the fourth is the fourth face of, a, what, of an eagle. Now, again, we need to camp out here for just a minute, guys. We need to camp out here. Because Ezekiel, he, guys, in chapter 1, Ezekiel says there are four living creatures. He doesn't, he doesn't make a prominent distinction except for right here. You go, Ben, what do you mean? Here he, he, he focuses on and he says, hey, the first is the first face of a cherub. Well, if you go back to chapter 1, the cherub was actually that of an ox. He doesn't mention the ox here. He mentions the ox in chapter 1. And you're like, okay, so calm down. What do you, no, 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 here's the point. Here's the point. In chapter 1, the cherub would be the ox. Now, the ox or the cow is the predominant face. That's what he's saying. In these cherub, this face of a cow or this ox is the predominant. And this really caught my interest. And you say, why? Well, since Satan was a cherub and he's a fallen cherub, and he's the great imitator of God, my mind immediately went to the gospel of Mark because the gospel of Mark is known as the ox or the servanthood of Jesus. 
And it made me realize something. I wonder if he, as a fallen cherub, is wanting man to worship and serve him. You go, well, Ben, that's, that's Captain Obvious. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. You see, Satan is, is, is vying for position here for the believers who, who worship God and the non-believers to worship him. That's what it's going to come down to. If you've read and studied Revelation, that's what it comes down to, the worship of Satan. He's taken the predominant face of this glorified cherub and is now using it in the hearts of men to worship him. How so? Well, do you guys remember Exodus? Do you remember what happened when they came, and if you will, straight out of Egypt, right? Do you remember? They began very quickly to worship the golden calf. It was immediately. And if you go there today to Mount Sinai, they're actually calf, these, these cow etchings into the rock there in Mount Sinai. Now, you can't go because it's surrounded by a fence. They don't let you get near that. But nonetheless, I think about this, and then I, and my mind immediately went to India. Do you know that the, the, one of the gods that they worship is a cow? And, and, and I started to ask why. And here, the sanctity of the cow in Hinduism is the belief that the cow is a representative of divine and natural benefits and should therefore be protected and venerated. Holy cow. The cow has also been associated with various deities, notably Shivya, whose steed is Nandi, a bull. Indria, closely associated with this name I can't pronounce, which is, which is the, the wish-granting cow. Can you imagine? We all have a dog as a pet. I think I'm going to get a cow, but I want this cow. It, Right? Krishna, a cowherd in his youth, a goddess in general because of the material attributes of any. But that's, that's just in India today. Back in verse 14, very quickly, and each one had four faces, and the faces was the cherub, that's the ox, the face of the face of the man, the third was the face of the lion, the fourth is the face of the eagle. What does that remind you of? The four Gospels, doesn't it? You go, how so? Well, again, the face of the man, the lion, the ox, and the eagle, this is New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All there. And you go, so, so in our discipleship class, I asked, um, I asked both Joseph and Adam. I said, Joseph and Adam, I said, um, how come you believe in God? Like, and they're looking at me like, is this a trick question? But, I'm, but the point is, is, look, Ezekiel here is is describing this cherub, the New Testament comes with the very same thing. How can you not? How can you not believe? The four Gospels, what do they do? They proclaim God's Son, our only Savior. Verse 15, And the cherub were lifted up, and there was a living creature, and I saw by the river Kaibar. And when the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them. And when the cherubim lifted their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels also did not turn from beside them. And when the cherubim stood still, the witch stood still. 
And when one was lifted up, the other was lifted up itself, for the spirit of the living creature was in them. Now, let's tune into these last verses. Then the glory of the Lord, you guys see this? Verse 18, departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. And when they went out, the wheels were beside them and they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house and the glory of God of Israel was above them. This is the living creature I saw under the God of Israel by the river Kaibar, and I knew they were cherubim. Each one of them had four faces. Each one of them had four wings in the likeness of the hands of men under their wings. And their likeness of the face is the same face which I seen at the river Kaibar. Their appearance and their persons each went straight forward. Now, that's all of chapter 10. But what I want to do as we close, what I want to do when we close, guys, is in order for the text to resonate with us, we're going to let God do his perfect work. You go, well, how so? Well, let's take, uh, let's take a moment right now. We have some time. This is the purpose. Let's, let's, let's take some moment and ask the Holy Spirit to come and to do the work in our hearts. I know it's Wednesday night, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I also know that every one of us struggle with things that we're not, we don't want to tell anybody. We struggle with things in the dark. We might have an idol. We might take something that's really, really good and make it ultimate, and we keep asking ourselves, what's wrong with this? I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I love all of these things. And they're very, very, very good things. But you've made it ultimate. And you've begun to worship the creation rather than the creator. And so tonight, I know we partook communion as a family on Sunday, but tonight, let's just, let's just do this. If you can, ask the Holy Spirit to come. You see, maybe tonight, church, if we can be honest, maybe you do feel far from God. Maybe you feel like you're dry. Maybe our lifestyles or the things that we do in the dark are causing him to go, hey, I, I, I gotta, I'm going to back off just a little bit. You know what? If that's us, here's my plea to you. Tonight, if we can take time to repent, to repent. You know, I know it's Calvary Chapel, but you know what? Man, let's just say this is the altar. And you can come to the altar and pray. You can turn in your seat alone. You can do whatever you need to do. And then when you're done doing work with God, we can come and you can, you can take communion. You can do it privately. You can do it as a couple. However God wants to do We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.